Welcome everyone to the Mega C-Suite Stories. This is brought to you by the Cyber Risk Meetup. And I'm your host, Charmaine Tan, and I'm really delighted to be with you today. So a quick shout out also to our sponsors for today, which is Mimecast. And for those who are joining us for the very first time, Cyber Risk Meetup is a community of like more than 3,000 over industry professionals and leaders. We meet in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Singapore, and Tokyo. So uh, we've actually organically grown all this for the last few years, and now we are doing a more regular virtual meetup session just to keep the conversations going and to bring to you guys new content and really help you all with the learning as well and things like that. So very excited to have all of you back with us again. We are now in episode five. And uh, for those who missed the last few episodes, we have actually sat down with a variety of different C-suite um, uh, leaders from the CISOs to the CFOs, CROs, uh, chief strategists as well. And today I'm really excited to have with me two special guests in our board edition. So I have with me Cassandra Crow and Ella Vendramin, <laughs> always trying to <laughs> name and get it right. I'll let you to tell us how we should pronounce our name in a bit. But uh, why don't you guys start first with introducing yourself. Maybe Cassie, you can tell us who you are and a bit of something interesting about your background. Yeah, sure. Everyone can hear me. I'll just, just check that's all good. Yep. Fantastic. That's half the battle. Um, look, thank you. It's great to have the opportunity to be here today and to connect with you all at this time. Really looking forward to it. I, I hope you're all staying well as well during the pandemic. Um, but in terms of introducing myself, my name's Cassandra Crow, so not too tricky uh, to pronounce that one. Um, I've been working in financial services for over 20 years now. Um, it's an industry I love. I'm very focused on improving retirement outcomes for Australians, particularly Australian women, where we see um, some pretty unfortunate retirement outcomes in this country at the moment. So that's really my driving purpose. I've worked for um, a range of different global organisations from banks to private investment managers. I've also spent a number of years working across Europe as well as across Australia here now. Um, that's my professional background. In terms of board activity, I have two board roles. The first is with an industry group called the CFA, which stands for the Chartered Financial Analyst Qualification. It's a global designation, the leading designation for investment professionals. Um, and my role is to be a board director for the Sydney Society, so looking after the interests of our local members, uh, people in Sydney that are certified um, CFAs. So that role is really focused on making sure that we're educating and connecting those members and trying to make the industry um, a much more ethical uh, and purposeful, I guess, industry for all of us for the betterment of society. So that's really the focus there. The second mm. board ac activity I have is with a, a fintech that recently launched called Super Rewards. Um, this is as an advisory board member, so really there to help guide the company. Um, and that role you know, the, the company itself is a company that's focused on retirement again, and it's come up with a really creative way of building a um, e-commerce platform, so a, a technology platform that you can use when you shop online. And when you shop online through Super Rewards, you receive cash contributions directly into your superannuation account. And the rationale for that business was, as I said earlier, women are retiring in Australia with about half the superannuation of men. Um, and what we're finding is women are spending the majority of the household budget. So if we can 
engage women in their super a little bit earlier and give them cash contributions when they're yeah. spending that that budget each week we can really help solve that retirement challenge that we see um so that's i guess my board activity and then just personally you know my greatest achievement is my five-year-old daughter um and remaining married to my husband so <laughs> that's the full, full picture of my background i guess oh that's wonderful thanks a lot cassie and over to you Ale. it's a brilliant uh, background cassie so thanks for sharing <laughs> i like to follow how to say so thank you the, um, so my my name in terms of, if you're wondering how my name is pronounced, uh, everyone calls me Ale, which is short for Alejandro. Uh, I'm sure you know Lady Gaga and you love her song, so if you say Alejandro, then that's all good. Otherwise, Ale is fine as well. Um, so my, my background comes from uh, different countries, different cultures, and as well, many, many different industries. So I was born and bred in Buenos Aires, Argentina, from uh, my mom who's English. That's who's from Venice in Italy. That's what my surname is from, Vendramin. And uh, so I grew up there, English school, always wanted to fly planes. And so the first thing that I've done in my life was actually flying planes. So I've been flying planes since I was 15. And actually that was my first career. So I was a founder uh, of, of a small air school. I did that in Buenos Aires with a plane. And I did that for five years. And while I was doing that, I wanted to use my brain a bit more than just operational flying planes. And I uh, started studying business and marketing, which I always love strategy uh, and how to actually get to achieving things with less resources or equal resources. And that led me to marketing and business. And I joined Port Motor Company in Buenos Aires uh, three years late, sort of was early 20s. Uh, then grew up quite, quite fast uh, there and moved to the US, transferred with, with Port Motor Company. That's when I stopped flying. So I moved from aviation to automotive, uh, product marketing for the globe for uh, big platform cars. Once that was designed and finished, I moved to Brazil to launch the product from a commercial marketing standpoint for Latin America, everything from Mexico down, which was quite challenging in terms of cultures, different budgets and different people. We all think we're very different and very unique, but deep down we're people and we're all the same things, which is actually a lot more commonalities and differences in my opinion. Mm. And then that led to Australia. So Australia needed somebody who uh, could, uh, knew about small cars and knew about this particular product. Uh, so Ford Motor Company called me to move to Australia, which I did in the year 20, 2003. And I've been in Australia ever since between Melbourne and Sydney. So grew up at Ford Motor Company uh, for about um, six, seven years. Started working with Google um, quite a lot in, in digital. And I, I didn't know they were actually interviewing me at the time, but eventually they popped the question, do you want to join us? I said, how can I help you? And then they were, eventually we said, well, I joined Google, so moved to Sydney and uh, ran the automotive business for three years, which grew quite nicely. And then I joined an agency. So moved from aviation to automotive, to technology, to agency, and I ran a digital agency for five years. And that was also my first board um, role. So I was not only running an agency within a group of agencies, the IBG Media Brands, uh, but I was actually part of the board of uh, the group of agencies there as well. And while I was doing that, I did uh, some advisory boards as well, in smaller scale until I joined QK uh, as a non-executive director. And my angle for that position was, I was actually mentoring and partnering with Christina Carlson, who's the founder, mm -hmm. who I know for some years. Uh, brilliant entrepreneur, brilliant mind, brilliant visionary. And uh, but one thing that I could add to her was all digital piece and transformation, how we can actually take that beautiful brand and actually make it scalable uh, at a global scale. 
And so that was my angle and my what we call a superpower superpower within uh, the board of directors uh, of KPK and been working there ever since. And now whilst we're in VA, for those of you who are familiar with their situation, but we're actually looking with different partners to actually we're very close to partnering with a great brand, which uh, hopefully we can speak to all of you guys soon. And that's where we are in terms of uh, personal things. Again, proud father of two beautiful girls, uh, seven and uh, five. Uh, which keep me on my toes and keep me very, very honest. Wife, <laughs> uh, so I'm actually clearly outnumbered by three women in my life. So if we get a pet, it's definitely going to be a boy pet. Uh, I love that. I love flying for fun. So I took my girls flying, and I do that for fun now, and I absolutely love it. Nice. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's really, really nice um, hearing you know the, the walkthrough as well of the different um, career paths that you guys have taken. It's very diverse. It's very different, but at the same time, um, you know, there's quite a lot that we can learn even just through the decisions that you guys have made. And really, very thankful to have both of you taking time out here to join us. And you know, because for myself, right, I find this episode really interesting because um, you know, as an executive advisor, I work very closely with the CISOs, really just to help them bridge their business gaps. And a lot of the time, I find that you know, most cybersecurity leaders are pretty much on the same stance that cybersecurity leadership should be in the boardroom. They should be, they should have a seat you know, in the board. But on the flip side, there was also a study, right, uh, that was done by like the National Association of Corporate Directors, and it showed that one in five directors are actually not too happy with the, like, the quality of cyber risk information that, you know, um, the board gets from management. So I find that there is a gap between the executives and the board. And I believe it's very important for us, well, as cyber risk leaders, to understand the world of the boardroom which is why I feel this is really timely um, to get to hear your perspectives and to hear the mindset of the people that you guys work with and you know what you observe in the boardroom as well. Um, so we'll start off first with the first question, which is um, I really want to understand from the both of you if you can enlighten us and enlighten our audience on the different roles of the board versus the executives. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I go sure so so the the, the roles are quite uh, distinct and in fact I, I see three clear roles uh, instead of two as we mentioned and I explained that in a minute how, how I see it so the clear the clear three people who actually play in a company that are absolutely critical are the first one is uh, ownership who actually owns legally owns the company and that's mm -hmm. usually investors of all kinds you know um, big share investors and small investors, but also the founders. Then the other piece, the second piece is control. So who controls the company? And that is the board. That is the board of directors who control the company, being on the company, not in the company. And that is usually, in most companies, the owners and the and people who control are usually the same, the same people, with the exception of small investors who do not have control and are not don't have a seat on the board. And that is basically, and all the directors is usually get founders and investors. In the case of Kiki K, that is exactly the case. It's a combination of founders and investors. And then the third piece is the executive, which is who possesses the company, who actually is in possession of the company, in possession of the operations of the company. And that is basically who runs the company on a daily basis. And that's not only the CEO and his or her management team, but also every single employee who make decisions every single minute on how the company. Uh, operates. So really those three distinct pieces 
I believe, have to work in harmony and have to work really in to be able to have a beautiful, the best companies, that's really how they, how they actually operate, right? Cassie? And yeah, I would totally agree with everything you've just said, actually. I mean, where, when I think about it, the distinction between, I guess, the board and the executive is the board is really there from a governance perspective to oversee, um, whereas the executive is really executing on the day-to-day -day strategic goals of the company. Um, so I think there is definitely a difference in responsibilities, accountability and the mindset that comes with those roles. Um, I have observed, though, in my experience, there are two things I would say that are common across the board and the executive and I think it really is that shared purpose so for the company to as an entity uh, whether it's for profit or not to meet its potential you need to have that shared vision and purpose that I think the board and the executive and the employees and in a, in a way even I guess the investors can really buy into and then secondly with my experience coming from financial services the thing that's been really important to me has been this focus on the fiduciary responsibility that we have in financial services and this has really been brought to the forefront on the back of the Royal Commission um, but I think both the board and the executive need to also align on that ethical code and that fiduciary responsibility that the companies have particularly in that sector um, so that's kind of how I think about it but yeah totally agree with, with Al's comments. So maybe we can elaborate a bit then, you know, when you talk about the mindset, right, what is the mindset that one needs to pivot um, from moving from management to board directorship? I'm happy to make a quick comment on that first, if you like, um, yeah. to keep it fluid. But I think it's a really good question because what you see is a lot of people who are on these boards have been an executive prior. Uh, it's kind of the career path in a way, particularly for those large listed companies. So I do think it is challenging to to change that mindset because you go from sort of, you know, the saying they have around boards is it's nose in, hands out. So you need to be responsible and accountable and make decisions at the highest level, but you're not actually executing physically yourself on the strategy. So I think it is a mind shift. I think uh, you know, in my experience, I've recently been through the Australian Institute of Company Director course which provided some really good training on how you can think about your role as a director differently to being an executive within a company. Um, I think the leap, the leap definitely can be made, uh, but it certainly is a mind shift um, of thinking differently. And I think, you know, there's many spectacular examples of when it hasn't worked so well. Um, one that came to my mind when I was thinking about this conversation, uh, ABC, so the Australian Broadcasting Commission, back in 2018, there was a lot of publicity where they lost the chair of their board and the managing director of the company in very swift succession and it seemed from what was reported that there was a lack of clarity around what was the MD's responsibility and what was the, the chair of the board's responsibility and they were sort of each in each other's spaces and perhaps not communicating as effectively as you should do. So I think um, there needs to be clarity of what the roles are from an executive and from a board director and that needs to be very much communicated for it to work effectively uh, I think would be my advice there. Yeah you, you painted that very very well um, Cassie. The, uh, my, my thoughts and I draw parallels on this is letting go is the hardest thing mm. yeah. because from a any C-level C-suite role most of them CEOs or COOs or CFOs and jumping onto a board. You're used to controlling the day-to-day -day operations of a business. 
And as you jump onto a board with all the things that you said, Cassidy, I'm not going to repeat because I fully agree, is the fact that you now, not in control, you need to empower that C-suite to run the company on a daily basis. And like you said, we actually are in on the business to actually help steer and support that exec team to actually deliver what we need to deliver, the common purpose for the company. And, uh, and uh, that is the hardest thing. I, I draw parallels with when I was actually started giving flight instruction. I started giving flight instruction at the age 17, and I was very capable of flying a plane, but I was very green when it came to being a teacher. And of mm. course, in this world command, so you know you can fly the plane from the right or the left equally. And in this case, I'm not in the left anymore. I'm on the, sitting on the right-hand side. And the first landings, me as an instructor, and the poor young kid loving planes and wanted to fly, I was not giving getting those controls to that person, and I and I was not the best instructor at first because it was really hard for me to let go, and then eventually you relax and you let go and you empower and then you direct really well with less talking and more you know the, the less you talk the better actually that happens in aviation and it also happens in business as well just very clear directions very clear north, and then let the team empower the team to come with the right solutions to deliver the big vision and mission of the company. So, so that is, you know, like in any process, letting go to me is the hardest piece. And once you get comfortable to that and really trust and align with the teams, then be very clear that the strategy is the CEO strategy, and we're here to support them for her rather than do it ourselves. Mm, that's really, really good. Um, a good way to. Uh, bring about the analogy as well. I didn't think of it that way. And I'm thinking, right, in terms of your experience, right, from what you guys have seen of effective board directorship, right, what are some lessons that, you know, we can learn from those who have done it really, really well? And maybe perhaps skills that are transferable and applicable in different industry and different roles as well. Yeah. To, to me, there's, there's three critical pieces. Uh, the, the first piece is full alignment. Full alignment mm -hmm. in is the most important thing. So we're here to deliver that, to make an impact in whichever way we make an impact in the world uh, as, as a business. And that is absolutely critical. Full alignment, and that is not only within the board, but also investors who are outside the board and also mm. the business and also people who are actually running the business on a daily basis, which is the exec and every single employee. And I mean every single person from the most junior to the most senior. So full alignment is absolutely, absolutely critical, number one. Number two is less is more. Uh, unless you're a public listed company with this lot of regulation on how many people should be in the board and they become quite big boards, the bigger the board in my experience, the more dysfunctional it is because the more chances of getting misalignment. And Too many voices. In private companies, small private companies or startups, I'd suggest not more than three to five and odd numbers is the right thing. So then it's always say vote that breaks an even discussion. Less is more. And then the other director matters. So, you know, the appointment of the director, spending the quality time to appoint the right person for that chair. And diversity is absolutely critical. And alignment is absolutely critical. So what that person should bring should be something different than the other people already have. And that is one thing that was critical. That was one of the reasons why Christina and Paul invited me to the board is because there were a lot of investors, there's a lot of mergers and acquisitions people, a lot of finance people, a lot of, you know, the founders were there, but they didn't have this digital marketing uh, business transformation piece. And that's that's where I where I fit it in uh, quite nicely. 
Just wanted to quickly um, touch on the first point you mentioned about, uh, you know, the alignment of vision as well, right? So how do how can we go about that? Like, how do you guys go about influencing each other so that you know everyone's on the same page and they're supporting the vision, even though they have different maybe um, motivations? Yeah, uh, I think. Uh, sorry, Cassie, if you don't mind me, just no, you go. I I love it. You go. The um, in terms of full alignment to me, you know, there's a lot of things. Obviously, values, purpose have to be fully aligned, and even getting to the place of compensation, right? And when I talk about fully alignment, is you know, usually what happens between founders and mm. capitalists, for example, or any any capitalist firm that's actually investing in in a business. Uh, whilst everything is well in the beginning of the marriage, as years go by, potentially the venture capitalists want to go on IPO, and the founders want to stay private and nimble that is the typical thing that happens in terms of conflict of interest and then you start seeing that the directions and the controls want to go in different directions and you see friction there so so having clear goal and for example we all go for enterprise value growth and there's mm. an exit strategy that helps us helps everyone in because there's always an exit strategy so what the exit strategy is if there's a common exit strategy amongst all different parties parties then that will actually la uh, have a long lasting seamless relationship in the board than if things are actually despaired. And then it also goes back to one level uh, down of the exec, let's call it CEO and the exec team, which should, in most cases, they also have part ownership in the company, uh, in smaller stake, but they do have. And then you're having that long-term vision of growing the value of the company, for example, if that is the objective of, of the enterprise, then everyone's very, very aligned. But even if you get to a CEO, which has very little stake, and it's all about short-term incentives, then the short-term goals and decisions are always going to be short, short vision versus long-term vision, which is not probably not, not in line with what the founders and the investors want. So having all those things aligned vertically and horizontally is absolutely critical. Mm, that's brilliant. I do have another question I wanted to ask about that. But before that, um, back to you then, Cassie. What are your thoughts about things that we can learn from you know, effective board directorship? Yeah, look, it's, I love everything you just said because when I was thinking of this question, I was thinking of alignment of purpose and diversity. So you've literally hit on the things I wanted to comment on. I think, um, yeah, if you are at that point, you know, you need to buy into the purpose because that's going to drive you to put your energy into this. So I think, um, you know, really having that philosophy of commitment, that purpose being widely communicated, of course, you can enable individuals to take their own perspective on that purpose. I think that's so important. You need to have agency over that. But at the end of the day, you need to be motivated by the objective and that needs to be aligned. And I think you can see when it's not quite quickly because decision making becomes very difficult when people have uh, different purposes, I believe. Um, if you can, you know, bring a collection of diverse people together to make decisions, um, you know, if they can anchor in the purpose or the objective of the company, usually you'll be able to make that decision-making process a little bit easier. So I think that's one way you can kind of sound that out. Um, mm. So fully agree with, with that. I guess the only thing I would add, um, and perhaps this comes back to my background, is I think, you know, for folks that are on boards, it's so important to have an element of financial literacy because even though you might not be necessarily the, the secretary or the treasurer, of the board at the end of the day the decisions that you are making will have financial consequences for that entity um, whether again it's for profit or not there's still going to be an element of that so i do think 
um, a component of financial literacy is something that's really important for all directors um, when they're operating in that space. That's great. And I'm going to, just going to pause here for a while to our audience. If you all have other questions that you want to add, feel free to type them in the chat box here. Uh, we have a couple more minutes as well, so we'll try to get to your questions if possible. Um, but just back to what you all are saying, right? So I'm just wondering, we talk about purpose, alignment, vision, and having the same language. So I'm just wondering, uh, based on what you've seen, um, you know, with what's going on with the world, with cybersecurity and cyber attacks and things like that. How do you, what, what's your take of when you meet the cybersecurity leaders coming into the room uh, or you hear such matters being discussed in the boardroom, how do you feel that as the, like the leaders representing security, can they better articulate this message or how should they tweak the language so that it's in alignment with what the board understands and what the board will support? I would just say really quickly, I think outlaying the risk. Um, I mean, look, my understanding of cyber security and cyber risk is it is one of the fastest growing threats, you know, to commerce um, and certainly from a fraud perspective as well, you see a lot of activity there. So I think, uh, you know, from a board perspective, outlining the risks to the entity for not really going deep on cyber security uh, would be something that would be kind of speaking the language of the board, because ultimately they're there to govern and protect the entity at the highest level. They're accountable to the investors, shareholders, regulators. Uh, if cyber risk is a growing threat and with the backdrop of COVID, I think we're seeing more and more um, corporations having to deliver a digital experience as their way of life going forward. I think making the case for that risk and how you can really manage and mitigate those would, would be the key way to go forward on that. Uh, but yeah, Al, what would you say on that? No, absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, the way I would call it is, you know, what is the impact that this could have in the brand, in the investors, in their director's responsibility, even to the point that you could go to jail, right? So, so it's, it's clearly very, very heavy responsibilities for everybody. So, so really it's articulating very clearly, like you mentioned, the risks or we call, you know, what would be the impact in this case, negative impact that we would have, not only from an investor perspective, but brand perspective, a customer perspective, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of customer data that could be leaked, you know, and again, this this massive uh, customer issues potentially. So it's so really highlighting all of that and then saying, and then prioritizing how do we actually take this seriously and what are the actions we need to take in order to minimize the risk. And again, the risks are always there, we always be there, it's cat and mouse, you know, Google and Facebook get hacked, you know, and those guys are pretty good. <laughs> Um, you know, so, so in the end, you know, this is always going to be how do, how do we actually, like you said, Cassie, mitigate the risk and how do we take the right steps to say we're actually a, a responsible board that we're doing the, taking the right actions to actually protect us the best possible way. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for sharing and elaborating on that. And, you know, earlier we talked about, uh, your, you guys mentioned briefly about diversity and inclusion, right? And that's the, you know, it's really important to have a, also a diverse board, uh, leveraging of the different strength and backgrounds of different individuals so that everyone contributes to it holistically. So maybe what are the other benefits, you know, that you've seen from working with a really diverse board? Want to go, Cassie? <laughs> I'll go. Um... Look, I think 
why this is so important is because when you look at the world, the reality is we're very diverse, you know, and from all elements, not just gender, which might be one of the elephants in the room when you look at the boardroom, but, you know, also just from an experience, race, um, these things all really matter uh, when you're making decisions. And I think what I've observed from being part of what I think is, you know, uh, a great board, which is very diverse, is that if you can have genuine diversity, people coming from different perspectives, you can make complex decisions and you can come out with a better outcome than you could if you had have just made the decision on your own. Now, I think that's hard to do because you've got people with very different backgrounds and different ways of communicating. So it's easier said than done. Uh, but I do believe it can be done. And when it's done, the benefit is a much better outcome. And there's a lot of evidence now. McKinsey's done a great research piece on uh, the benefits of companies that have more diversity inclusion at the executive and the board level. And they show a dramatic increase in, you know, return on equity and all of those uh, financial statistics that we would look at. Um, so I think the evidence is clear that it needs to be in place uh, and it will benefit not only the team of people, but also the company and the shareholders as well. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. What does diversity do? You know, probably the best example that I have of, of, of experiencing it that it was it's my time at Google. That Google is an incredibly diverse company. In mm. my automobile, we actually had 12 different nationalities to give you an indication. Right. Wow. Um, and, and of course, different genders and different, um, you know, um, yeah, the whole, you know, sexual uh, interest, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a true, truly diverse, diverse place. And, you know, we all have our own biases based on our history, based on our background, based on our religion, if we have a religion in a language, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's silly to think that we can solve every problem ourselves. Uh, so having those biases and what, what diversity brings, and again, you mentioned you know, the obvious people talk about diversity like male, female, like your gender, and that is one. That is absolutely real, but that's one. Is To me, it's diversity of thought. That's the way I like to call it. Mm. So regardless of okay. male, female, mm. whether whether you're old, whether you're middle-aged, it doesn't matter. To me, it's diversity of genders, races, nationalities, backgrounds, industries, diversity of industries. One of the richness that I brought is actually that I bring is actually I realized changing industries, you actually become so yeah. diverse in ways, and you can add too a lot more. You know, I don't come from the retail industry to add any retail background to DK, but I can realize I can add a lot of value by bringing different perspectives on how to build product development, how to do marketing, how to engage with customers from different industries and take best practices. And what the, what this does really is boost the joint intellectual potential of the book. It really makes everyone smarter. And why why does this happen? People, people say, well, but why does this happen? Really what happens is like diversity of thought keeps directors or anybody really uh, biases in check because you're going to be questioning why you're thinking one way. And then you need to, you're basically forced to actually respond with a logical answer rather than if we all come from the same place, we just take it as obvious that that's the, that's the obvious solution. Is it an obvious solution or is it a better solution? So then we actually need to work all the time. Am I actually right? So you actually have to work a lot harder to say, well, that's my, my belief, but is there a better way? And then what that ultimately does, it really makes the board more curious and smarter as a whole, right? because you're bringing all this richness from all these different people and you grow as a person. So I'll, I'll, I'm a big fan of diversity. I don't think there's no other way to go, really. 
Mm. No, I really agree. And it's interesting because it's a problem that we are seeing, not just from the boardroom right, side of things. Like in a lot of industries, we are seeing there is a, a, well, at least now there's an increasing sort of awareness and, and focus on the importance of having a diverse um, group of people in any industry. And we actually need that, for example, in the cybersecurity industry, uh, you know, not just gender focus, but different backgrounds. And I love what you said, you know, diversity of thoughts, because hmm. we really need to bring in the different perspectives. Um, and and that's, how, that's how we can work together better and bring out the best uh, in each other and in, for the industry as well as we grow um, this ecosystem. So it's interesting that you mentioned that, you know, you guys are also seeing that in the boardroom. <laughs> what are your take? Um, what's your take? Um, I'm just conscious of time now, but what's a quick one? Um, your take in terms of seeing um, your interaction with just bringing it back a bit to like the cyber risk leaders or cybersecurity people or, you know, the CISOs, right? Do you actually see like many of them in the room, do you have much interaction with them? Is that something that is now more talked about in conversations? Um, and any tips, you know, you might have for how they can tweak certain languages or present themselves better? Casey? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm thinking, I guess I think, you know, working in financial services, risk management is always at the forefront. And I think, as I said before, you know, as we move into more of a digital age, you know, and the industry needs to modernise some of its services, I think cyber security is more and more important. So I think risk management is, is definitely there and it's, it's part of that. Uh, but perhaps from what we're talking about today, it needs to be a bigger presence there, um, potentially given the threats going forward. So I would say risk management's definitely there. Probably the industry would benefit from you all, you know, advocating for there being more sort of cyber focus within that risk management uh, would be my gut instinct. But to be fair, you know, it's not my kind of area of expertise as well, but I de definitely see the risk management being very much present um, in my industry anyway. Mm. I think to be more specific as well, um, for example, and like you talked about people, you know, being very um, te too technical sometimes, you know, they're using a lot of jargons and about simplicity is really um, important. Maybe you can share a bit about that. Yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. I think um, even at the highest level, keeping conversations simple is always a winning strategy because no one wants to be bamboozled. People want to understand the easier you can make your case understood usually the greater the engagement. Uh, I also think, you know, if you can have visuals as well to help you communicate, it could be an interesting chart um, or statistics, those kinds of things can really sort of humanise in a way what we're talking about. Um, so I think you've kind of answered that question for me. Keeping it simple is the art of what we all do. It's easier said than done, but the more you can simplify, absolutely the greater the engagement and probably the better the outcome because the more you can understand something as complex as, you know, cyber security, the more likely you are to be able to prevent it uh, from being a threat as well. So, yeah, that would be my thinking. But, yeah, Al, what would you add to that? Absolutely. Simplicity. Having <laughs> uh, simplicity wins in any case. Uh, you know, especially the more technical a person is, the more technical and detailed there will be in a, in a presentation, in generally, generally speaking. 
and and I think you know it all starts from in the board. You usually have you know for sometimes two hours meetings, sometimes five hours meetings, but there's so many topics to discuss, and probably cybersecurity gets five minutes, right? Mm. From property to employees to technology, to, you've been through all these different pieces, and all of a sudden, so you know, so just starting it, storytelling is absolutely critical. So why are we talking about cybersecurity? Why is this in the agenda today? Number one. Well, why? Because this can affect, uh, this could compromise the integrity and security of our systems. This could compromise our brand in its entirety. This could cost us a million dollars. You know, why are we talking that? So first thing is like, why is this cybersecurity cyber expert in the room speaking to the board? Number one. Okay, I get it. So there's a big risk here. We're talking about a risk. How big is the risk? I like the risk very simply, ideally not more than three pieces. And then how can we actually mitigate that risk? What are the actions that we need? And what do you need from us in terms of in these five minutes to actually help you and help us de-riskify from that area? So to me, it's as simple as that. Uh, For technical people, sometimes it's really hard to do that in five minutes, but you could actually do that in five minutes. It's literally the next examination. Why is this important for you to listen to and pay attention? What, What are the risks? And how do we actually do the actions and what I need from you? What are the decisions that I need now to actually make this happen? Whether it's investment in, in security, whatever that is. Mm. And then board, understand the the reason for being there, understand what are the actual risks and understand also how top level, how, because we're not, you're not going to be uh, going to have the level of technical expertise as a cyber expert, cyber security expert. And then, you know, how can we actually help that person and help the business actually do risk of fine? Mm, love that. It's so spot on. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, you know, simpler than it is actually, and people make it too complicated. Sorry, Cassie, you were saying. I was just thinking. Sorry, just to add to that, as as you were speaking, I think it's so spot on because I was thinking of kind of my own personal experience, and I'm still on my career journey. But when you start out in financial services, the number one thing people want you to be is super technical, um, and so you go through kind of all of that analytical training. But actually, the further I've gone on, the twenty years I've been working. It's much more about communication skills for me now, like the technical and, as I said, the financial literacy, uh, all of those things are expected absolutely at your core. But what's going to get you to the next level is really being able to communicate those ideas so other people can take them on and own them and understand them and, to your point, manage the risk. So I think, um, yeah, I just think what you said is so true. You've really got to adapt um, those skills as you go through, I think. What kind of gets you to one point won't necessarily get you to the next. So. Uh, being really adaptive is important yeah excellent I mean thank you so much because this is really enriching hearing it from your perspective and at the end of the day you know it is about keeping things simple yes focusing on risk uh, especially in our industry that's important but also how do you articulate that right and the beauty of storytelling and not forgetting about the human connection because at the end of the day it's all about people and you know why are we doing this it's really to help people do better in their jobs, they have to help companies and organizations grow, and the more secure they are, the more, you know, we can help support them in their growth as well. So it's all about that human connection and being able to relate, bring that, you know, um, topic so that it relates to people and the, to the individual. So that's really, really like, it's really nice, like hearing it from you guys. So I really appreciate this. And I, I mean, I would love to just go on forever. But... 
<laughs> like oh gosh i realized that we've actually overrun quite quite a bit but really am so thankful um for both of you for taking the time out and uh, with that i'm just going to uh, thank all the listeners as well and the audience really for joining us on this conversation you can actually catch up to this episode as well it'll be made available to you on the following channels on youtube so you can follow us on cyber risk meetup the youtube channel and it's also going to be on the podcast where um, it's called the mega c-suite stories yeah so for those who are more interested in just you know plugging in and hearing the audio there you go that's for you too and just want to thank you again to our community supporters so um mindcast our platinum sponsor my Security Marketplace and Privacet, who are our community partners. So My Security Marketplace, they showcase events, articles, books, podcasts even. So it's a really good forum where you can get in touch with um, all sorts of resources for all the cybersecurity leaders or cyber risk leaders. And Privacet is a company I work for. Um, they've been big on supporting all my community initiatives and they do a lot of work in GRC, pen testing, rate teaming, all the you know, ethical hackers. Um, but we're all trying to help organizations um, pretty much you know, be safer in their journey and be more um, assured. So you can look out for, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. Again, other community supporters, the Cyan Network and Cybersecurity Magazine. And lastly, um, I'm actually running my own next-gen growth program in June. So it's a workshop for people who are interested in learning how to captivate their audience with business presentations. So you can check it out on the link there. Uh, it's made available to anyone who is interested. And I think pretty much that's it. We've come to the end of today's episode. Really big thank you again to Cassandra Crow and Alejandro Vendramin. <laughs> <laughs> need to keep practicing this i'll eventually get there <laughs> yeah thank you everyone for your time and enjoy the rest of your day ahead let's keep the conversations going and you can reach out you know just follow um us on linkedin if you want to continue um with questions or anything like everyone is more than happy to avail themselves for that so yeah thank you everyone thank you thank you thank you very much thanks guys see you again